Hey everyone, this is Naomi Sneakus and this is the Firecracker Department. Well, how are you? Welcome back to another week. What have you been doing this week? What have you been reading? What have you been listening to? Hey, what docs are you watching? Because I love documentaries, but I never know which ones to watch and there's a lot out there. So if you have a favorite doc, send me a note. Let me know what it is. I was thinking about what I found inspiring this week and I'll tell you what it is. I went to see a Groundlings show. Uh, Groundlings is a theater here in Los Angeles and it was their short form show on Thursday nights and Nicole Parker, who you might remember from Mad TV, she was in the show and she had a kick-ass show. Now, I don't know, I've never seen her on stage, but this one was extraordinary. I hope she left the stage and went, oh yeah, that was a great show. Cause for me, every scene she did killed. They started the whole night by doing an improvised Sondheim musical. Now, musical improv is tough enough as it is, but a Sondheim musical? I mean, sure, there's there's the folks, there's the the, the musical improv geniuses, like, uh, like the Ashley Boddings and the Ron Petersons, the Matt Barums, the Carly Heffernans, the Reed Genesis, those guys, they make it look so easy. Uh, but I do not find improvising musicals that easy. So when I saw her take on the Sondheim musical, I was blown away. She is so fast. Oh my God, her mind works so fast. And she's so funny. And she also has a gorgeous voice. She can do it all. I'd love to interview her on the Firecracker Department one day. I wonder if I can make that happen. Anyway, if you ever get a chance to see her on stage, go. You will not be disappointed. I, I think she's crazy talented. And uh, who knows, maybe a future Firecracker Department guest. Fingers crossed. Speaking of guests, how's that for a segue? This week, we have none other than Jessie Gabe. Jessie Gabe right now is the head writer of Mr. D, but I've known her for ages. I first met her when she was writing for Being Erica, and I got hired to do the uh, webisodes. Oh my gosh, we had so much fun. We laughed so much. I always think that that's the way my friendships have to start with like big laughs and I don't know some sort of synchronicity with the senses of humor that we have. So after being Erica she went on to write for Insecurity and she wrote um, a feature film called Cass and Dylan and then she also is writing for Mr. D. She's just a dynamo and she writes really great funny funny dialogue for women and men. I mean she can do anything she wants. My favorite thing about Jesse Gabe on set of Mr. D is I'll finish doing a scene and then I'll come to see her behind the monitors to see what she thought about the about the take and if she's smiling she'll look at me and then she'll just give me a thumbs down which I like because it keeps me humble. Thanks Jesse Gabe for keeping me humble. Uh, now she's the best. I love talking to her with or without a microphone in front of us. Um, and she's going to do amazing things. She is already doing amazing things in our community. But keep in touch with Jessie Gabe because she is making some funny, funny stuff out there. Thank goodness. Thank goodness for funny stuff and for Jessie Gabe. Okay, here she is. But I wanted to do like, they said, well, who do you want to interview? And I said, I want to do like just the ladies in our industry. Yeah. And you were on my, my top five list. No. Okay. I Why? can show you notes. That's because ridiculous. I've known you for a long time and <laughs> you know, there's nothing more to say. That's all. <laughs> I think you're, okay. This is why, because I look back at like the time that we've known each other from like, like from being Erica mm -hmm. 
till now to Mr. D. Mm-hmm. And like it's you're inspiring, like the things that you write. And also you're one of the best writers for me. Like Aww. for my voice. Like I love it. Oh. Oh anyway, God. Is it. this Cheers. Moment? Um wow. uh, where you start. Like you I know you were born in Montreal. Yep. Alors, vous parlez français. Oui. Et that's the rest of And it. And let's do this whole thing in French. Okay, bien sûr. D'accord. Si tu peux. Oui, pas de problème. Okay, alors, ah. tu as, tu as um, commencé oui. votre oui. éducation oui. au Montréal. Oui, oui, exactement. Euh, à quelle école? <laughs> au Collège Marie de France. C'était un lycée français. Oui. J'ai commencé en maternelle, j'ai terminé en seconde. Après, j'ai transféré à... Okay, plus lentement, plus lentement. Plus lentement. Okay, you... Okay. I'm going to switch over. We don't have to do this. But you, you, uh, you started at what school? Something? It was called Collège Marie de France, and it was a French lycée. Right. Which is like a French from France, like a yes, France Yes, that's school. why your French is like not Québécois French. Exactly. I'm an Anglophone, a Jewish Anglophone who went to a French borderline Catholic school. So exotic. From, from the age of five to 16. Which means yeah. what for your psyche? Uh, it means I've got a little bit of like a multiple personality issue, you know, because yes. most of the kids in my neighborhood went to English, Jewish grade school. Right. But not me. And it, it's, it was weird, but... But, but your I parents are it. French. No. That's so what I meant they... by Anglophone. Yeah, but, but... An Anglophone is an English speaker. Francophone right. is the French. <laughs> See, you're speaking another language Yeah, they don't... Then. No, people don't use those words around here because it's a moot point. Right. Yeah. So how... Okay, but did you do that all through school? French all through school? I actually started in a French school in like pre-nursery, but I went to this French from France school yeah. from kindergarten till the end of high school. Yeah. Uh, I left for one year. This is what I mean. No one's going to care about no, this. No, but I'm curious. I left for one year in grade seven because <laughs> my parents read letters home from sleepaway camp written in English and were so horrified by my writing in English, my lack of English writing abilities. They were scared. At the time, my French was better than my English, and they thought, what's happening to our English child? So they put me into an English public school, and I, I was there for one year, and I just felt like I was missing, like, there's the French, ed- the French educational system is very strong. Yeah. Uh, not that the English one isn't, to no, be honest. Nobody's, it's there's, people it's are also great. You. My brother went to that school. It's a great school. <laughs> so but worried I about anybody like, listening I don't to want to offend anyone, but, but I, I just didn't, I, I thought I have something special with the French school, with, yeah. with being an English person, but having a French from France education, I didn't want to miss out on it, and I went back. <laughs> so you went back. <laughs> but like, they actually but, made me take a test. Yeah, I went back. Like, your parents were like, we'd like you to not go back to the French school, and you're like, mm, I want to go, go back. back. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and it, it was a harder school. Like, it was, it was, you know, the schedule in high school, it's very weird. It's nothing like a, most schools here. Like, starting in, first of all, high school starting grade six, not grade, here right. there's the middle school, forget that. Right. At home, high school starts in grade seven. But we started in what we called CZM, which is Age-wise, grade six. Yeah, I but know. I mean, I know CZM and think most. No, but people. it's not. It's not CZM. Isn't actually. It's first year high school. Right. So it's not grade six because grade six is last year elementary. Right. Well, this is too much. But anyway, so first year high school, and then I I wanted to stay with my age group because yeah. I didn't want to be with kids who were older or younger. So when I got moved to the English school, I went into grade seven, which is also first year high school. And then when I came back, I wasn't going to not go back with my friends. So I got. I went back into 
third year high school. So I never did second year high school. So whatever I don't know to was this in, day, I think to myself, oh, that was, was second, second year, year high, school, high school and I missed it. That's a piece of information. But, I'll never get that. So, okay, so yeah. what did your folks do for a living? My mom's a marine biologist. My dad is um, a businessman. He owns a, distrib- he's a distributor of packaging and uh, like I feel like you're making this up. No, pa- just... packaging and sanitary products. Oh, we had boxes of toilet paper. Like never ran you don't out. Need to brag. No, it's... never ran. Yeah, you need okay. some. You need some. <laughs> sure. I does it? <laughs> I think everybody will always need that. <laughs> Corrugated boxes, packaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, that's an interesting thing to to encourage their kids to have that kind of education. Like, they must have come from a place where they knew the value of that. Yeah. I mean, did your parents not care about your education? Not a lot. Not a lot. No, no, they did, but like, I mean, like that's yeah, an investment. They, they cared. Like, they both went to university. And yeah. My, you know, my mom. I think my don't my, bring my parents into my, this. Your, <laughs> my mom. You know, her her whole family sort of overachievers. Her brother probably is is like a genuine genius, right? Who got a full scholarship to Harvard Med School and. Uh, you know, like, my my mom's a marine biologist, and she's probably, of her siblings, I think they, they, are, they all have even higher Right. Uh, so no pressure growing up. No, no pressure. Or... I'm just saying, yeah, the education was important. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I mean, it was important, yeah. No, no, no. My, I, my, guess I get it. I think yeah. most parents think education is important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my but I didn't too. feel like crazy... I mean, I, the pressure I feel I probably put on myself. Right. The pressure came from the school, because the school, Marie-France was kind of a bit totalitarian. Right. I say this with love. <laughs> oh, oh, God, God I can't help it. everyone. Oh, we're going to hear so much from <laughs> Marie-France. It was a totalitarian oh. school. It was long. That's what I meant. The days in high school, so we had like a university-type schedule where you'd have one day where you, like your schedule's eight to six, and then the next day, nine to two, mm-hmm. and then you'd have eight hours of of homework. Mm-hmm. It was very um, not a lot of extracurricular. Do you things, think that a lot of school work. gave you like the discipline that you have yeah. now? I do think because you're that like one of the most disciplined. <laughs> you are like I yeah. Think, I do think I, it comes from my parents. I attribute it. I attribute discipline to that school, and and my finally being able to write in English to this one English teacher. Because I, when I was taken out of that school in grade seven, for grade seven, um, I was taken out because my writing skills were so em- embarrassing, right. abysmal. My parents just read these letters from camp and were shocked. What were they and like? Then, just like just like the spelling was awful. Just I, I don't know. They yeah. were terrible. I think my mom still has them actually. And then I and love that you became a writer. And that, like, that's the yeah. irony. But that's yeah. this teacher when I came back. My some I think one of my friend's parents told my mom just make sure she gets Amra, and then this teacher kind of whipped me into shape from a writing perspective. Yeah, what did she? What was her mixed feelings about her? But but she was a very good teacher. Oh, she is a character. She's like she was like the you know the person in charge of the play too, and you know how theater. You know, theater people. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm one, and (laughs) so are you. So that doesn't help. Uh, What was her name? Amber. Amra, Mrs. Amra. And is she still alive, do you think? She's still alive, 100%. Do you ever speak to her? No, but there are some students even older than me who do still and yeah. are still involved. But they were the ones who were like in the play. And you know how they have the, 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 the theater teacher and the play kids. Yeah. 
tend to have an unusual relationship. Yeah. Well, it's a very so, bonding experience yeah. creating. So I know she was recently like at Luke and my wedding mm-hmm. that same night. There was a another couple from Marie France getting married because we also were both from Marie France. Right. And she was at that wedding because wow. one of our guests, Sheb, yeah, writer on Mr. D, was wedding hopping. So he was reporting back from the other way. <laughs> so do you think, like, is that when you started writing, like, for real writing in in her class? No. It's just that I started to be able to write. Like, I could put an essay together. Right. That wasn't garbage. Amazing. And then, uh, and from that point on, I did English in university. Like, I studied, uh, I mean, it wasn't, I didn't do English lit. I studied at McGill I did cultural studies which is sort of their version of media in a way right but you still didn't know what you wanted to write you just wanted to be no I hadn't you know that you wanted to write no I didn't still not I didn't know I wanted to write and when we like (laughs) I moved here for acting as you know it was a massive fail so well we'll get to that but but like did you in school like you were writing came easy to you so it never you never thought of it as a career choice or no it didn't even occur to me for a second even when I was writing here, when I was writing sketches in Toronto to perform, right. it wouldn't. It didn't occur to me that screenwriting was a career. I don't think I ever thought for a second where the words must come from when you watch television. Right. <laughs> They're just making it, it up. It just didn't. It wasn't um, even a thought. Right. Yeah. So, um, so you got through the school and then you went to McGill, and then what was the um, impetus to move to Toronto? Um, I went to McGill, and then I, I I had worked in New York for two for two thousand in two thousand one, and then two thousand three, and the first goal was to live in New York. Yeah. And I immediately after McGill, I moved to New York. I had worked in Broadway production. I moved there, and it was soon after nine eleven. What's Broadway productions? I worked in Broadway production. Oh, okay. Right, like, like for a production company yeah. that puts on. How did you musicals. get that? I I. Uh, I just okay, got no, my way in there. Okay. I, I mean, I <laughs> looked like, up people and I got in yeah. and I found a way to get like a temporary sort of student visa so they didn't have to worry about anything. And I just showed up and said, actually, the first job I had in New York was with an ad agency. And that was really funny because, again, it was an internship that I tracked down and I got the work papers in order. And, and then I, I had this interview over the phone and they said, yeah, okay, you're hired. And it was too easy. Yeah. And I thought, oh God, that was too easy, but okay. You know, f- okay. And I, and luckily I had them send me a note in writing, like an email that right. said you're hired just cause it did feel too easy. And then, cause then, you know, I, I moved there. So I got yeah. accommodations and it was only for like, that was like a few months, but nonetheless, I had to find a place to live. I had to move myself down there da, da, da. and then I show up and I'm like, I'm, I'm here for my first day. And the guy who hired no. me was like a partner, but apparently he told no one, he didn't run it by anyone and nobody there had any clue oh, that I was God. supposed to be working there. But they were like, could you just come back in like an hour? And I came back in an hour, and they had sorted it out, and I was good to go. I was working there. But I'm like, thank God I got. I had the email to show them. And I was like, right. no, no, he... Because he was, like, the creative director in an ad agency. Right. He wasn't the, um, the head, like, the president. Right. You know? Oh, my anyway, God, that's my worst nightmare. So, Turning up at parties <laughs> like, that aren't supposed uh, to be happening. I was, like, or... I was prepping to start, like, just picking up maybe a waitressing job. But technically, I think the, the work visa I had... I had to work there. It wasn't like you yeah, could just yeah. work anywhere. Yeah, that's how. So that I was works. a bit nervous, but as I li- it all worked out, and then I moved back in two thousand three and worked 
and that was like the best time ever for this Broadway production company. And when I left, I said, mark my words, I'll be back. That was in 2003. So well, we're 2016. I still, You're I not still dead expect yet. to be back. But what but made not, you... Well, like, I have been back to visit, but I mean, I, I yeah, wanted to, to live, live there. And I grew up going to New York. It felt like a second home because my mom's twin sister lives in Manhattan and I grew up there oh. every summer. So I was really offended when I went back and realized I got a couple of job offers and then they said, um, we actually can't get your papers in order. We thought we could, but we can't. Oh, no. And that's when I came back. I worked at Just for Laughs for two summers. And then and What then did you I, do for Just for Laughs? I was the industry coordinator for the festival. Yeah. How was that? It's like... I had to deal with people like me and you. Oh, my so God. Well, me, good. easy not, peasy. Not you, good. Oh my not God. good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the industry that shows up, you kind of have to just make sure that they have their accommodations and their passes and they're picked up and they're happy. And Nightmare. It was Did you fun. meet anybody that it. like was like a good networking connection that you've kept uh, in touch I, with? I, I did do stupid things like... Um, print headshots and resumes and no. have them ready to go. <laughs> no, you didn't. That's something my mom would always tell me to do. Um, Just have one in the back pocket. Yeah, uh, I did that Fold kind of thing. I, do, I can't say in retrospect that I met contacts that went anywhere, but I I met um, I met Jackie Mason, and I had him call my dad. No. Because he's a big fan. He, it was actually the second time, because I met Jackie Mason on 47th Street when I was working Times Square, yeah. and his show was going, he had a one-man show down the street, and at the time, I saw him in the street, and he's my dad's a big fan, so I got a photo taken with him and stuff, and we chatted, and then when I saw him at Just for Laughs, I had the photo on me, too. I was really prepared with everything, oh my God. and I said, I need you to sign this, but also, you couldn't do it last time because you were in a rush. I need you to call my dad, because my dad's a big fan. And one more thing, Jackie yeah. Mason. And you could see, like, his entourage, like, roll, they were so ready to just get me out of there yeah. and and he was like sure why not why not oh. and then I think my dad did his impersonation oh. of Jackie Mason <laughs> to Jackie Mason um, and it was and I don't think Jackie Mason even recognized the jokes because my dad's imitating things that he's got on CD that are from like the 60s yeah. and Jackie Mason doesn't even remember them and I just hear him going like eh <laughs> <laughs> but you like you're you wanted to be an actor this whole time like all these little well, like pieces well like little I wanted to, but I didn't exactly have, you know, like it's you hard going to, to say theater it school. in a real, yeah, I wasn't, right? Like, I wasn't any, I wasn't getting anywhere. No, I took like acting classes looked, in New York. I oh, went to HP okay. Studio while I was there. Yeah. Took tap. I took Meisner with hell. Why well, was it uh, hell? Meisner is not my thing. It's I can't for remember some which people, one's not is, for others. Is Meisner the one where you reflect repetition. back and forth? Yeah, yeah the repetition yeah. exercises. But also the class, I took this class, it was in this like little tiny studio upstairs in Carnegie Hall. Fantastic. No, yeah, it was in Carnegie Hall, uh, like uh, above Carnegie Hall. Yeah. In this tiny little stuffy office where there's no ventilation and the teacher was like 75 and he smoked a cigarette and it was from like 6 p.m. till 2 a.m. three times a week. So it was misery. Yeah, right? I would be throwing up. It was awful. Yeah. It was just... But, like, you were, like, there must have been something in you that went, I'm going to get a job doing, like, at the Broadway, um, Broadway productions, mm -hmm. as opposed to pursuing acting. Like, why weren't you pursuing acting full-time? In New York? Yeah. Or, and before that, like, at McGill <laughs> and stuff like that. No, because I I know... did a minor in theater, because I was just dipping my toe in at the time. Uh, I just started. I never did it in high school. Never. Nothing. Uh, as a child, I was probably considered almost clinically shy. <laughs> clinically? Yeah. Is that a, I, is oh, that yeah. a 
It is a thing. Is it? Sure. Oh my god, I've been diagnosed with shyness? You can be, yeah. Oh. I don't. I wasn't, but I was very shy, and it wasn't until you know, like I did a minor in theater, and I started to like get a taste of it that I was like, I liked it, and Do I really only start to love it when I came to Toronto and was doing sketch because I was like, oh, I finally understand a world of acting that I enjoy because yeah. it's not the same doing sketch comedy acting and doing like when you're in acting class and and at least what I understood from it was to keep everything very real and small and like just, just and then you found sketch feel it and make like, sure you feel oh, it and then sketch, I don't have you can, to you can go big and you yeah. can you can be more playful and, and I mean I I think I realize now I probably could have what I'm saying is like I sound ignorant you can go big and playful in real acting but I didn't get it fully back then no, or didn't work second city opened my eyes a bit I just took two classes there mm-hmm. but I it, it it changed things a bit for me I had more fun with acting after after Second City classes. So did you go right into, like, when you came back from New York, did you start working with your sketch group, the Fade to Brown No, we went to New York, then went back to Montreal. I was working at Just for Laughs. Yeah. And I was like, this is a contract. It wasn't full. I I was there for, like, four months or something, and then I was like, uh, then what? Yeah. So I'm like, I'll just move to Toronto and see. And I told myself, I'm just going to go for a year. Right. Um, And you know when you're, like... Yeah, I didn't want to like have, have like I didn't want my parents to panic if I'm like I'm moving there to be an actor they would have freaked out. Yeah, I'm just moving to check things out. Yeah, yeah, they're like and you can barely speak English. How are you gonna yeah. survive? Yeah. <laughs> no, I could speak English. I mean, I still, I'm an anglophone. This is what I'm telling. You. That was the jokes. Uh, um, yeah, I said I was gonna move there for a year. That was my first intention, just to see what's happening because I just didn't know what I could do in Montreal. Like right. I just didn't get it, ha- have any sense of what there was for me other than working maybe it just for last full time yeah I just didn't know where else to look so I moved to Toronto with no plan I found like this the most like a pretty unsanitary living situation where was that what neighborhood (laughs) little Italy up the street for you no really yeah (laughs) it's the neighborhood was great just this particular place um and then uh uh, and like... then I just started auditioning for anything I could find on Mandy, you know? Yes. Like anything, yes. like student films and whatever. And then the sketch troupe was an audition that I... No kidding. We get, we got together through one of the guys in the troupe held auditions. And then... So who was in Fade Brown with you? Fade to Brown. It was Amish Patel, Sean Ahmed, Bobby Umar, myself, and Dan Stolfi. Right. Who I'm still close with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how long did Fade to Brown go go on for you, like as a sketch group? Because you guys worked a lot, and you you were sort of like one of the first sketch groups to shoot stuff too. Uh, well, I don't know. Like it felt to me like that's in the sketch, right. <laughs> you know, in the sketch industry, like it felt like you were mar- you guys worked at producing stuff. You were you were hustling. Oh, we tried. We definitely tried. Hmm. We we did a show at Panasonic. That's right. See, <laughs> I mean that. that I mean, um, that didn't happen a lot in those days, I don't think. No, I guess, yeah. We were we, we were hustlers, I, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I mean, it was, look, it was a it was a South Asian sketch troupe. I was a token white girl, <laughs> and Dan was a token white guy. Um, and it's a community that's very supportive. You right. had a very supportive audience. Um, Amisha's buddy, Ryan, was in film school, so he wanted to shoot things with us, Um you know, but that seems like time. that would be a good, um, like a you got your writing chops a bit with that. that I got process. writing. I got some writing chops in that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did a lot of writing with that group, and 
Uh, but it never occurred to me to do anything. Like, I honestly didn't know where I was going. I really, really didn't. I was starting to think about doing, applying to do a master's in theater, because there's a program, I forget if it's at Humber, I forget where, where at the end of the program you get your master's degree and you also get an edu- a, a, like a teaching degree. So you can either do whatever you could do with a master's or you could teach. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was beginning to think about that and journalism and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then... And then I, th- I said, did I ever tell you this story about the train? I want to hear the story, though, because it's really good, because it, it was a tipping point. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think in our world the of, The train like, story changed everything. <laughs> yeah, like, in our in our world of, like, creativity and arts, like, I think there's always some sort of story that makes you go, and that made everything different. Yeah. And it was the train story. Yeah. So, we, where were you off to on the train? I was on my way back from Montreal. I used to take the train to Montreal a lot. Love it. Went home. So, I was coming back, and I took it regularly, so I was acutely aware of the train conversation and I was starting to hate it. I thought, not today. Right. Today I'm gonna I'm going to shun it. Like I'm gonna shut it down yeah. before it begins so that I, I don't want like five hours yeah. of like small talk. In Europe they have small trains uh, where you're not allowed to talk. So I think I was trying to start that trend. <laughs> and uh, so the guy next to me, sure enough, was like um, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, oh, here oh, we go. Oh, how's here. it going? He led with that? Whatever. Oh. I don't know what he... Okay. Something like that. And th- there was another train conversation happening right behind me. I could hear it. And it was painful. It just felt forced <laughs> and awful. I felt uncomfortable for those people. Right. So I, I just didn't want to do this to the Little people did in you front know, of me. You were doing research for characters in your in the future. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. But I, I, I didn't want the people in front of me to be as uncomfortable as I was about the, phone, uh, the conversation <laughs> behind me. So... <laughs> so he starts talking, and I was get very curt and shutting it down. And then I'd go back into my book, and then he kind of got the hint for a bit. And then maybe like a half hour later, he tried again. He had a very, I wasn't trying to be mean. Like, he was a nice guy, but I just didn't want to get roped into it for hours. So I was curt, shut down, and that. And then about an hour out of uh, Toronto. So here's the here's the crazy part of the story. It's a bit of a long story that... Nobody has we time, have time. for it right I, now. I think this is such an interesting story because you're like one of the most prominent female uh, comedy writers in our industry. Like, I want to find out where you started. <laughs> That's a, that is a lie. You, you're a head oh, writer on, on one of the top shows on <laughs> Canadian television. So I appreciate Take that. Put it in your pocket. You. Save it for later. <laughs> okay, so go on. So you're in so, the train. Um, <clears throat> so the backstory. The, the backstory is that, first of all, one of the other crazy things I did when I was working at Just for Laughs is that an acquaintance of mine, I think this is a history of having not much of a life, is what's going on. Okay. So this guy I knew who I wasn't even that close with, somebody, a, a mutual friend told me, like my friends growing up knew that I had a thing when it came to like Broadway and like I loved it. Oh my God. But they didn't you are know where actually I one of the biggest was fans of placed Broadway. in that world. It's yeah. just they knew I loved it all. Yeah. So... And comedy too, like they knew that I was, I was fascinated with it, but they didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Neither did I. But the point is, this mutual friend told me, you know, this guy that we both know is, um, he's going to be a screenwriter. He's moving. He was like moving to Israel for a year to write some specs, and then he was going to move to LA where he had some contacts, and he was going to make a career happen. And she's like, you should talk to him. And I don't know. Someone says you should talk to someone, I just do it. I don't really know why. Sometimes really? I say, someone told me I should talk to you, and then I wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's great, though. So, so uh, we chatted. He was like a neighbor kid, and I knew him at Dawson, but he, he was a, a neighbor kid. Anyway, so he, he, uh, 
And I didn't even know what a spec script meant at the time. Right. I didn't know what any of that meant. I just was like, tell me about this. What is this uh, This mutual friend of ours speaks of? <laughs> anyway, to make a long story short, he explained it to me. He told me what a spec was. And I was like, how interesting. Maybe I'll write a couple too. And we could like trade and comment. And and he, he was like, all right. So for like a, a month or two, we would sit together in coffee shops a few times a week. And we'd be guy? writing. He's can a guy. Can you say his name? His yeah, his name's Moishler, but I don't know what he's doing today. Yeah, like I think he he's a, in, he's still in L.A. and yeah. and he's doing stuff. He was but, a tipping point chair. Yeah, I think you. he's still working in the industry. I just don't know. I don't know what exactly he's do, up to. But anyway, he wrote. I wrote. We both wrote specs, and so I walked away from this little, you know, this meeting with him that lasted a f- couple of months, mm-hmm. I think, with these two spec scripts in my back pocket that I was like, all right, well, that's a thing now that I have. But you'd never done that before. So, no, I didn't know what a spec script was, but I'm like, oh, that's fun. You write an episode of a show that you like. So I had these two specs, which I had on me as well at Just for Laughs. Again, okay. should something ha- come up You're that you ready need for a spec script yeah. for, had them on me. Of course, nothing came up because that's insane. But I had them in my computer. I literally, they were just there. I forgot about them. And now we fast forward a few years on the train. Oh, the other backstory is that my roommate in this place I was living in that wasn't hygienic <laughs> was a filmmaker from Colombia. Okay. Or a struggling filmmaker. He was trying. He was trying to start a filmmaking, uh, like a, a career in Toronto. Um, and he was a filmmaker, but he was, you know, we were both like Ooh. starting out. Just starting out. He was also an, an actor, I believe, uh, in South America. But anyways, he, um, he was like, why don't you just write a movie? You'll act in it. I'll film it. Who needs money? We'll just do it. And, I, and you know when you don't know anything, you're kind of like, yeah. That's when you're free. Yeah, I and agree with that you. That is when you're at your free. Like if you were, if you, uh, so there's a reason why you're not writing a spec script now is because. No, I, I am writing on spec. I've go. I went. I've gone back. But like, I've gone back because, to that. Yes. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I do like writing. I prefer writing on spec and then bringing people in. I don't like. I I, I like that yeah. process better, and I still do. But it sometimes when you know too much, it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. I knew nothing then, so I literally was like page one. Bup, 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 I started writing. Yeah, but you didn't format it or anything like that, or. No, I was using Final Draft because okay. we were using that for sketches with Fade to Brown. Okay. But, uh, so I, I had that much of a clue, but I had no concept of like, like how to... A story, B stories, or anything Or like act that. breaks, or, or things like that, yeah. you know, or just the, how to shape a, a movie. What Anyways, did you, what, what is the thing you know you knew? <laughs> like, in, when you write, I like, knew nothing, that's what I know. Like dialogue. No, I, I knew you dialogue. Knew I, I didn't know nothing. Like, I'd been working in sketches for yeah. a while with sketch. So you knew characters. I understood characters, and I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting to write a movie that deals with euthanasia, but try to make it a comedy, but not be disrespectful to the theme and the topic? Like, you know, not not like a comedy, like, haha, but like, you know, one of those, com- I mean, I don't want to relate in any, like, this, the movie is so far ahead of what I did but I just had a lot of admiration for like uh, life is beautiful Mm because you laughed Mm -hmm. through a holocaust movie but it's not disrespectful oh my god that's so that was such an amazing um, movie so I was like that was the challenge I posed for myself Oh, if I had a dime for every euthanasia comedy (laughs) script I read but I didn't want it to be like balls out comedy that's disrespectful yeah anyway so I started just writing it and and then um and so when I was on the train, 
I was like, oh, I should work on my movie. I was almost done at this point. I, so I opened my laptop and I started typing. And then the guy next to me recognized the final draft format. So immediately he was like, what are you working on? <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm going to just, we're going to do this. There's only an hour left in this train ride. Let's do this. I yeah. closed the laptop. All right, let's talk. <laughs> let's just figure this out. So we started chatting and he started telling me that he used to be a comedy writer in New York and he almost had an opportunity with... SNL, but it fell through, and he's given it up, and he doesn't do it anymore, and now he's a lawyer, and it was at the point when he said where he worked, and I said, my friend works there, she's a lawyer, and he definitely knew her, that I started to not think he's full of shit. Right. Until that point, I was like, in New York, I would, like, you go to Kinko's, and the guy's like, oh, I'm an agent, I'll rep you, like, everyone yeah. seemed to be a little bit full of it. Yeah. So... So I don't, I had a, I didn't trust people in, instinctu- right. instinctively. So I, uh, anyway, but when he knew my friend, it kind of broke down a bit of the yeah. barrier. And so we were chatting and then he said, uh, he said, he, he's like, well, let me read a little bit. Like we, we were talking about writing. He's like, let me read a bit of what you, you're, you're working on. And, and he kind of like was j- judging it or something. So like that, right then he opened he's the He's like, yeah, let and... me just see. Well, he, so what he said actually I think I'm going out of order. He said, my a- my cousin is an agent, and if you want, I could introduce you. And I said, uh, he said he's a lit agent. Never heard, thought about, I mean, like when he said the word, I think I understood what he meant. But until that point, the word lit agent didn't cross my mind. Yeah. But, I, but he said, I, I was like, Who, what agency? He's like, I can't remember the agency, but his name is Brent Sherman. And I said, characters, because I know that because I've been on their website because I wanted to get in with characters as an actor, and and I was no nowhere near successful enough really <laughs> for them to consider me. But I'd been on their website. Yeah. I looked up, um, you know, I'd seen the names of the agents and I recognized that name. So this guy's becoming more and more legitimate. So he, yeah, he's like his cousin's friend. Sure, he's gonna, and and so he's like, well, let me just give it a quick read. Like, show me. A, I don't know if I showed him my movie or the or I pulled up maybe one of my specs. And he was like, yeah, 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 let me, I'll, I'll introduce you. And I can't even remember at this point how that connection ended up happening, but he, he put me in touch mm-hmm. somehow. Like, I guess maybe I gave him my email or something. He put me in touch, and my first meeting with Brent was like, Jesse, I don't really know, you know, I don't usually meet with people at your level. I'm not really sure what you're doing here. And I was like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here either. <laughs> I mean, talk to your cousin. He made this happen. right. right. <laughs> Because it's hard to get meetings with Brett. Yeah, like, that's... it's not... Like, I didn't know what I was doing there either. I was just so excited to be in the building. Because yeah. I'd walk by it. I couldn't... I was like, it's hard to access this building. Yeah, Fort Knox. And so... So I got... Uh, so so he told... Anyway, it was a... This feels like the longest story. But he told me I needed to have TV writer friends. And I didn't have any. I had sketch writing friends. But he's like, you should know people. Like, you should get out. You should know people. Yeah. And, and I was like, I can't help you there. I'm sorry. If that's... Yeah, if that's gonna be the make or break deal here, yeah, I can't. Like, what can I tell you? I don't know any professional television writers. And he said, "Go talk to my assistant Matt because he's gonna be a writer." Matt Heater, who's now uh, a very uh, talented and successful writer, yeah, on Degrassi, and um, and uh, so, anyways, I walked out of his office and I was like, "Hey, Matt, uh, Brent says I need to have writer friends. Do you want to be my friend?" <laughs> And oh Matt, my gosh. And Matt was like, sure. And then it turned out Matt lived across the street from me. No. Yeah. So it was that's all very so serendipitous. Wild. And we did become friends. And he kind of mentored me. And that's where I did rework my specs because 
Brent would give me notes. Matt would mentor me a bit. We would like, and I would rework them and rework them and I'd send it back. And then we got into this little like cycle of me getting notes, turning around new drafts. I think I was being tested looking back, yeah. you know, to see what I was willing to do, what I could do. And then, um, and were you enjoying that process where you're like, this is exciting? Well, I like, ha- like I, I had my, I honestly, I was working t- two days a week at, at the Madison bar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and other than that, I had a pretty open slate. Yeah. Like other than Faith but were and you Brand, so by I had, this? like were you? Yeah, I was like, excited. Yeah. It was fun to work, but it was also. I was lucky that I had the time mm-hmm. because I was able to turn things around quickly, so, which told them I was excited, mm-hmm. so they could see it. Like if they gave me notes and I and then I came back to them four months later, it, it, maybe things wouldn't have turned out the way they did. Right. Like it was nice. I think it was a good way for me to show them that I was excited because I did turn things around quickly. Yeah. And I always think that's a really good sign. Like if somebody says, can you do this? I'm like, I'm going to do it by tomorrow. Yeah, I get but it done. I've stopped. I have I to get stop it done. promising that because sometimes yeah. they're like, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I'm like, I can't. Yeah, and then which that's is not normal. Good either. But I did then have a lot of, t- I do get things. You're but disciplined. But that's my discipline. <laughs> but I, I, but um, anyway, the point is like, so Matt, yeah, Matt helped me a lot back then. And, and then eventually... I wasn't quite sure what was happening because I was getting notes. Blah, blah, blah. I wasn't sure where this was going. And then and then Brent called me one day. I think I was at a point where I thought, I don't know, what's happening? Like, I'm not sure this is going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then he called me with an interview. and For a job? For basically, well, it, was at, it wasn't being Erica, but it was, it was for Sophie to be the coordinator. Yeah. And Matt had been the coordinator on on Degrassi, so he was like, "You, Jesse, I'll 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 show you the ropes. Not to worry. Like, take the if you get the job, I'll show you exactly what it means, what you what you'll have to do." Because I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> and so I interviewed for Sophie with Howard Busgang and and uh, Shelley Scarrow, mm-hmm. and then uh, they they offered me the job. And then at the la- and then like what something happened where they decided they I think they didn't have the budget or something they weren't going to hire the position at all. Right. So in the end I didn't get it, but she recommended me to James to like for being Erica and her her husband James was on that. So there was a for, sort of a quick turnaround that I went from Sophie onto being Erica instead. Wow. And uh, I met with Jana and Aaron and then I started on that as coordinator, and then um, and then uh, and then I moved up. On that show, like that's and the movie on the train, Cass yeah. and Dylan. That's right. <laughs> Cass and Dylan so was made into luckily Richard we didn't Dreyfuss shoot it with Tatiana no Maslany. budget. Yeah, but hey, I, thank goodness that. Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll go back. I want to talk about. Cass I mean, and I was Dylan. supposed to play the lead with my roommate. Yeah, shooting it. That did, what was your roommate's name? <laughs> Alberto. Yeah, um, but I'm okay. I'm comfortable. You know, I don't. I've lost touch with him, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but um, I, I I'm I'm very comfortable with it. I want the direction come, it took. Yeah, I want it. Well, yeah, Richard Dreyfuss is. Yeah, it was. Sludge. It was, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. Tatiana Maslany. I think you're yeah. doing okay. It was a good, good team. But like looking <laughs> back at something like that, like you, you rose quickly. Like getting a job at being Erica, that's fast. Do you think that would still happen nowadays? Like, it feels I think like I you owe were just it to right... you because here's what happened. Okay, good, good. This is so where it's all about. I got. I wrote the webisodes. Well, you were in them. Yes. And I think that's the reason why they became award winning. Right, because yes, I don't you nailed it's... them, no. and don't. That's not to take. That's so right. did Aaron Carvlog. I can't. She was fantastic. And so did everyone else who was in them. Reagan passed. <laughs> they were great. Yeah. Um. And then, and I think Ron the, Murphy directed them. Ron, the yes, yeah, season one and two, I think. I, I think can't remember. so. Yeah. Ron Murphy. Yeah. He, in fact, he's the person who 
who recommended you because yeah. I didn't know you. And at the time, I was like, the character must have red hair. You were the only person yeah. who didn't have red hair in the audition. Yeah. But, um, uh, and the webisodes did were, were well received. So that gave you like that, prominent. Well, gave me an opportunity to write on the show because next season they offered me like um, a story editor, a junior story editor yeah. position, and then and then after that story editor yeah i guess um so it just it allowed me it got my foot in the door which yeah. is i guess how a lot of writers i realize now get in is through story uh coordinating well for yeah. somebody that didn't even know like that lit agents were a thing existed, <laughs> like that was a quick oh yeah transition. i was i was lucky i yeah. mean I'm, i i don't I don't forget that I've been lucky. But all, all along the way of, like, writing, that's all I want you to say. I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. I am. But all along the way, like... Because I did not know what I was going to do with my life. I was getting real scared. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> didn't you also want to be an actor during those... Like, so you Well, I don't know successes. if you recall, but in season two episodes, oh, so I well. performed with one Naomi Sneakers. <laughs> so well. The dynamic duo of Gabe and Sneakers. Um, of course I, I do. I still act when I can't. And I, I watched, still like um, it. I watched Agnes and Harold. Did you? Your web series, yeah, it's really it's really sweet, and you guys have great <laughs> chemistry. Well, sweet, you guys, I watch a bunch of breakup and sexy, horrible things sexy scenes. Said to but each have, other. you have great chemistry, you and Dan. I do love working with Dan. I realize I still love acting. And the last thing I acted in not too long ago was with Dan, and the thing that I realize is that I love acting, but there are a lot of conditions around it. I don't love acting anything, and no. I don't love acting with anyone, but I love acting when I'm. In a certain environment yeah. where the chemistry's there and it's fun, you know what I mean. But yeah. like an an actor will take any script and right. take their teeth into it. I love acting in things I write, in things that Sheb writes or Dan writes. Like certain, especially certain things where like the comedic sensibilities are similar to my own and yeah. and and with people that I love acting with. But you know that so. But I you think know, if that's ever why... I can write being things that I write or, or, or yeah. you know the, the, it's just it's not quite the same as being able to say I'm an actor and I no but you're you have the chops <laughs> available to you it's just that you're very busy as a writer you can't do it all really I mean you've got a break now for a week right so you could actually <laughs> produce a quick web series so I'm uh, pretty lazy is what I'm saying yeah no I'm writing look I, I tend to like there's a lot of things that I've written where I'm like, if ever we make this, I'd like to play this role. Yeah. And it's usually a smaller role because I don't want to be ridiculous about it or hold the project back because I'm insisting on right. the lead. I'm kind of a realist. Right. <laughs> um, but then you hear the Sylvester Stallone story. I know, and then I get a little worked up or, or like, um, what's, uh, Nia Vardala's yeah, story. Yeah, like the but, uh, Greek wedding had to yeah. be her. And look what she did with but it. But I just, I guess it's just that I, 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 I can't, deny the fact that I'm I know people who are better than me <laughs> like right I just know someone who will play that lead role better so so yeah. that that's the thing that makes me not want to do it but well, it's also but, muscles I, right like you're yeah. the muscle as a writer is well tuned right now yeah. like you've worked out a lot and as an actor maybe it's not as flexible if you suddenly not. switched gears it's like an 80 year old like flexibility my, my acting muscles just yeah you I think I, I, you see me do uh, improv with you Nothing. Nothing. I, like, I it just you. went... I went blank. I you couldn't think of one line. I just, one all I remember to, is you wore your tap shoes. All I remember is I immediately went into a French accent because it was all I can think about doing. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't wrong. It, it wasn't was right. <laughs> That's the beauty of improv. <laughs> okay, so after being Erica, 
that wrapped up. How was the writing room of being Erica? I was. I haven't been in very many um, writers' rooms, but I imagine them intense. Uh, it was intense, and it, you know, I think every writer writers' room has uh, its ups and downs. Here's what I'll say: Being Erica was an amazing opportunity, and I am eternally grateful yeah. <laughs> for it. And that's Jana and Aaron gave me that opportunity, and they started out. You know, they they started my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were challenges, but there were there was a lot of fun as well. I met Lindsay on that show, who is now my occasional writing partner, who's on Mr. D, Lindsay mm-hmm. Stewart. Um, and I'm, uh, I mean, we have a great working relationship. Yeah. We we write. She's on Mr. I just said that right. Yeah. She's on Mr. D. <laughs> I created a show with her. So, you know, now, there's challenges in every writing room. Yeah, I think it's how you get through them, mm-hmm. right? And you guys did pursue, pursue, pursue past it was that. A, it and was a hard show. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It had it had a lot of rules. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't easy. I did the show in England, which was really fun. Oh my god, the coronation. Yeah. It was just a development. Yeah. It, it wasn't a show that that went to production. But, that, but that's they a pretty took, cool. It was a cool. That was a fun gig to get on because yeah. that was um, it was like. Uh, they were trying to do a Canadian Coronation Street, so it was with Shaftesbury, and the idea is they they flew us to England to Manchester, and we we kind of experienced Coronation. Yeah, shadowed. We shadowed. They showed us around. They gave us a tour. Um, you know, we we sat in on a writers' room, and the writers' room was crazy. It's so different. Like there what was, was like different about well, it? there were like forty people in that writers' room. Insane. And they do it. They their whole system is different from ours. Like it's kind of hard to even explain. They sort of it's they they like they get together in this huge room but it, it there was this, this the unless i misunderstood it was like there were these story fairies who were doing who were like I'm sure you did not misunderstand they were considered the juniors <laughs> yeah but they were uh i think they were considered juniors but it seemed like they were doing the hardest job which was they were really breaking story although they must have been using the writers pitches but then they'd go and they would kind of put this map of like a thousand episodes and then like, and then dole things out to the writers who, yeah. who were all over England. They weren't all living in Manchester. Some were living in London. Some were, they would go off, like they only got together in these huge group meetings like once a quarter or something, like four times a year, something like that. Yeah. It, I could have misunderstood, but I remember thinking this is the strangest writing process. Yeah, but yeah. Obviously, it's working. For them. Well, how many? So it's been I don't know hundred years. Seasons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you did that. You you and that was a, a team that was really fun to be part yeah, of. Yeah, right? that you was really... fun. We went up there, uh, and then we came we came back. We worked. We all wrote episodes. Yeah. And you know, I I mean, it didn't it didn't. I don't know if they might still be. It might still be in development. Yeah. For all I know, um, like trying to. <clears throat> it, it's it was just a really challenging concept to yeah. put forward because basically it's saying to the network um you know if you pick this up you, we want it it needs to be it's it's a soap opera it's every single day yeah so it's picked up for for 50 like we were, we were in the people. development stage and i can remember mm-hmm. us brainstorming and talking about episode 60 yeah which we're on season six of mr d i don't know if we, <laughs> yeah well i guess we've hit 60 but like yeah just it's, it's not like something you'd be talking about season one yeah yeah so but it was really fun. What can you tell me about the process with um, Cass and Dylan? Like, I know because that must have been really, like Jason Priestley directed yeah. it. You had like I have a lot to of say, star I power. I reworked it. Yeah. I don't want to act like I just wrote anything and then it got made. Oh no, of because course. I, I obviously 
reworked it. Um, I met Mark Montefiore, the producer at uh, the Canadian Comedy Awards, and he was like, we should work together. And at the time, I had nothing really I could offer him yeah. to work on other than that. And he read it. I mean, I was the worst pitcher. I was like, I don't know. Like, you know. <laughs> it's not very <laughs> kind good. Kind of how I pitched, and... you know, when you invited me here. Yeah, you're like, I don't I'm know if you want to talk to me. <laughs> At one point I was like, oh, just don't come. You yeah, just don't, I know you did like say that. You, you actually specifically wrote yeah, that. Yeah, you're fired <laughs> from a podcast interview. Um, um, but yeah, you had, so Mark like put so a Mark, team together. Mark uh, l- like responded well to it and then was like, let's just do this. And let's just see what happens. And he put it, uh, you know, he submitted to Telefilm. And uh, that's when I started digging into the script because Telefilm gave me notes. Yeah. Were there any big notes from your first, not your first draft, but the initial concept? There were so many notes, Naomi. I can't, if I showed you my computer, like the number of drafts, I'm actually, I've learned a lot because notes are great. But it's like probably then I didn't even know when I should be pushing back, when I shouldn't, right. da, da, da. and it was like an overwhelming experience a bit of yeah. notes. I probably have 50 drafts of, of that movie, but because I was getting notes not just, and it was great, the Nutella film notes were great, but I was getting notes from many different sources. Yeah, um, and not and there was through one person? A few, like, not at all. And yeah. Well, I mean, not at all, like going through Mark, but for the most part, it was a lot of notes, and there was, and, and, and I, I think like, you know, today I'd be a lot. I'd have a lot more conviction about what specific. I, I would just be more forceful. Yeah. I was deaf. I was trying to make a lot of people happy. Not to say I'm not appreciative. A lot of those yeah. were great, but it was, you know, it was a learning experience. Yeah, you're not so concerned about uh, making people happy oh, anymore. <laughs> that's a really. That's a really. No, to be honest, that's a really important lesson. I think, because I think in our life. That's important, right? Trying to like make people happy. Well, it's I'm always, also in, it's but important point, to take ownership of what you write. So what's more they're relying on to be you happy? to be the writer, right? And and I can't act like you're the teacher and I'm learning and trying to make you happy. They're relying on me to be the the expert. Yeah, the vo- in that in that subject, the visionary. Yeah, yeah. At, at, of the at the script stage, like I have to be a hundred percent like sure of what I want, what I know. And, and, and it's not a question of like, is this, is this good? You know, yeah. that, nobody wants to be led by somebody that goes, I think we should follow me. Very. Is that a quote? No, but it could be. That's, it's good. That could be on a t-shirt. But <laughs> where do you think that kind of confidence comes from? Like that's, I didn't have it, but now I've like, learned where did it. You, where well, did you this get... probably Mr. D helped a lot. I mean, yeah. I was sort of thrown into, um, being the head writer on Mr. D um, in, in retrospect, I'm very grateful to Mike and Jerry, but at the time I was pretty terrified yeah. when I first started and, um, and, it, and it was, you know, a rocky start, but now I think it's, it's been so great. Yeah. It's been, they've been super generous with their, uh, with their faith in me and with letting me take, take over the room. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's, and in, and I think that, like, what confidence I have, yeah. what little okay. shred of just, confidence just I have yeah. <laughs> comes from, like, it, it got built over the last few seasons, um, leaning a room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a dream room. Like, we have so much fun, and we're so, we're also so hard on each other, but it nobody takes it personally. Give me an example a, of, like, something that would happen. Where, well, like, would you just be like, that's not funny? 
Oh, yeah. I mean that all the time. <laughs> I mean, I'd be awful. Happens. I'd be like, what? That. But but it's not just that. Like, Lindsay is. I mean, and I keep telling her, I'm like, I love it. I love it. But she is so hard. Yeah. On it. Like, she is so hard on me, on everybody. But she's great. It's so good. Like, she's just, it's a stickler for, for logic and, and through lines. Yeah. Um, you need that. And you absolutely need it. Yeah. And, and, and I fight her back but you know I, I welcome being proven wrong like I think that's the strength of the room is right. like prove me wrong and let's improve this yeah and and um uh or prove any of us wrong not you know but it's just a it's a great room and it's just very it's just very safe safe space yeah. um where we just attack each other's work and, like tear it to shreds just like trample on each other's dignity and we say thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All for the sake of comedy. But where do you think that came from, that ability to um, persevere for you? Like, what is it, I think it a... comes from being um, a subpar actress. Really? I got a thick skin. Really? Because I've been turned down so many times. Well, that's part of the job of being I think an I've auditioned for every Tim Hortons commercial that they've ever shot. Oh, you're too... Clearly, they know... They don't want me, so stop bringing <laughs> me know. in. You haven't hit the right. I'm not like, the mark gal. For Tim Hortons. Um, you might be okay in your career if you don't do a Tim Hortons. You'll it's, be okay. It's my dream. Oh, All Jesus. I want is to do one Tim Hortons, and oh, then I'll just God. I'll retire from it. <laughs> oh, have bigger dreams. What are you gonna do? So we're in season six right now, of Mr. Yeah. D. What's your next project? What's your the thing that you're excited about? Uh, I'm working on a couple of television things right now. One, I mean, one I've been working on. Yeah, I'm working on. A few, actually, more than a couple, but uh, one that I'm very excited to start pitching that I've co-created with Sheb. Right. Um, and I was just working on it this morning. Um, so we're going to get that out there. There's another one that, I, that I'm pu- pushing, um, but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. And then I've started, uh, I started working on a new feature. I had. A, I was working on a second feature, and I finished it. I were I, a few drafts of it, but I'm, I just... I'm just not, I can't, I don't know, there's something that's still bothering me, but I, yeah. I don't know the fix, so... Do you wake I, up in the middle of the night and be like, oh! Sometimes I, and I write something. Do you? Can yeah. you read your writing? Yep. Oh. But I usually get up, <laughs> I'll get out of bed and type it yeah. quickly. But, um, but, uh, Do anyways, I like... put it aside, because I just, I just, too much, I put it, it's on hold, and I started a new one that... That I'm excited about, but I'm just like I literally am at the stage like our dining room tables covered in in notes and and like I'm start I'm just breaking it. Right. But I think it's a an interesting idea if I can do it the way I hope to do it. Yeah. And is that your it's process? Not easy. Of Writing like, movies is hard. Your process of like a story or a script. Do you like envision the storyline and then break it on post-it notes to see like the scene by scene? Um, I take uh like cue cards. Yeah. This isn't what I always do, actually. This is what I'm doing this time. Okay. Because I felt like I, I watched some documentary where a writer was show, was showing his process, and I'm like, I'm going to do that next time. Because usually I I actually just write, on, like I'll use a Word document, and I'll just start putting beats down, and then I can move them around. And then I might use a whiteboard, but with the problem with the whiteboard is you're like, oh, no, that scene should go down there. And you're constantly, like, erasing and then yeah. rewriting. So I just thought I'll write on cue cards, and I'll lay them out on the table, and I'm like, here's Act 1. And then and I literally have been fully rearranging, like, like Act 1 completely shifted where where it was, like, what was in Act 2 is now moved into Act 1. So 
I don't have to just spend all my time erasing rewriting. I just move cards around and yeah. And now, so it's covering, but the problem is, and I, then you start I, don't filling have, in I the live gaps. in a small right. condo. Plus so every night I have a one and a half year old who throws food. So every night I have to kind of <laughs> stack up those cards and move them out of the way because we need yeah. that table to eat. So yeah. it's not like in a perfect scenario, I'd have a table where I can just leave that stuff. Well, I'm excited to see what you do next. I think everything you do has, uh, I'm so intrigued and, and curious about what you're, <laughs> your, the voice that you're developing. It's really cool. Thanks, Sam. Well, thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Thanks for coming and chatting with me. And that's Jesse Gabe. I just love her. She's such a smarty pants, and she works so hard. She's got chutzpah, that gal. You know, she she just works and works. And I love the story, the train story, because it makes me go, anything can happen. You know, always have a resume and a headshot in your back pocket because anything can happen. And it can just turn your career. I love those kind of stories. You're going to want to follow her and find out what she's doing next. So her Twitter handle is at Jessie Gabe, that Jessie underscore Gabe, and see what she's doing. She's got some great projects lined up. You're going to want to follow her and find out what kind of passionate comedy stuff she's working on next. She's doing her part in our community to bring comedy to us. Thank you, Jesse Gabe. Hey, while you're on the old Twitter, why not follow us as well? We're on Twitter and Instagram at Firecracker Department. That's Firecracker, D-E-P-T. Or check out our website or check out us on Facebook. You know, tell me what you're doing these days. Tell me what you're inspired by. If you're a visual artist, why not doodle while you're listening to one of these podcasts and then send me the doodle. We'll post it on our website. Now, don't forget... The last Sunday of every month, we are going Facebook Live, talking to past firecrackers, talking to future firecrackers about what they find inspiring. So you're going to want to listen in on that. I have to put out a big thank you to the folks at Carousel Pictures. That's Tyler and Caitlin. They are so supportive of this podcast. It would not happen without their work and their support. Also, huge, huge thank you to Sebastian. He's my favorite. He's working over at Grace and Matthews and putting each of these podcasts together lovingly and caringly. And gosh, what would we do without him? He's fantastic. So let me know what you guys are up to, you firecrackers. Tell me what you're reading. Tell me what you're listening to. And let's get the conversation going. You're part of the department. So brush up your PowerPoint presentations and let's get to work. Go out there, inspire people, get inspired, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.